This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The Art of Charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we do have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the transformation kit at theartofcharm.com. If you like what you hear on the show, come hang out with us on the blog. We get really in-depth on some of these topics, and you can engage with the AOC team there as well. Or if you're new to the show and you want to find out more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, you can go to the website and we'll email you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, dating and attraction, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. And we've got our live programs running every week here in Los Angeles, California. In fact, we've got guys from all over the world. That shows that no matter where you live, you can make it here if you want to learn and grow. We're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're even thinking about it a little bit, get in touch now or email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. Get some info from us now so you can plan ahead. Looking forward to meeting you here at Art of Charm. Today we're talking with Amy Moore and she is a psychotherapist. We're gonna talk about regulating your thoughts, managing your emotions, behaving productively, and we're gonna do a deep dive on bad habits that are holding you back. That and a little bit of self-awareness on this episode of The Art of Charm. So tell us what you do in one sentence. I am a psychotherapist, an author, and a speaker. All right, that's like the academic version of actress, singer, model like in, in Los Angeles, right? Exactly. <laughs> Except for you can actually make a living doing the things that you'd mentioned. That's right. And first of all, you're the author of a ridiculously popular article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And that's a really good title, so it got a lot of clicks, but it's also a decent article that digs into some deep points. And how did you find yourself writing this in the first place? I mean, you're a psychotherapist, which... How is that different from a regular therapist, actually? I don't even know. Well, it really just means I'm a, I'm a regular therapist. But when you say therapist these days, people say you're like a massage therapist. Oh, got so it. to differentiate ourselves, we came up with psychotherapist. But you do give some great massages, Amy, from <laughs> right. what I understand. And, and you started to get interested in what, resilience and mentally strong things? I mean, how did this happen? Yeah, well, you know what most people didn't know, I didn't actually write this for the world. It was a letter to myself. 
And um, I only published it to the web sort of on a whim, thinking, well, maybe it'll help somebody else. Uh, I didn't write it for the masses, per se, but I had written it because I'd gone through a series of loss in my own life. When I was 23, my mother had passed away very suddenly and unexpectedly. And it was just as I was launching my career as a therapist. And so while I was going through my grief, I was trying to figure out about how do I go to work and help other people deal with their problems when I'm grieving myself. And so it was the first opportunity to really apply a lot of the skills I was teaching other people to my own situation. And then on the three-year anniversary of when my mother died, it was three years to the day, my 26-year-old husband died suddenly of a heart attack. And so I found myself a 26-year-old widow and I didn't have my mom. And now I had to figure out, now what do I do with my life? And, And so at that point, I realized it wasn't just about having good habits in life. Sometimes it just takes one small habit to hold you back. And so I really started working on how do I get rid of these small, maybe nagging little habits that seem minor, but the ones that could really keep me stuck. And, you know, I held out all this hope that someday life would get better. And eventually it did. About four years later, I got remarried and we sold the house that I had lived in with my husband. We moved to a new area. I landed a new job and life was starting to finally look good again. And I breathed this sigh of relief. But just as soon as I did, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And Jeez. I thought, you know, why? Why do I have to lose everybody? I don't want to go through this again. And I was having all those sorts of thoughts. But I knew that I couldn't think that way because that's not helpful. And I knew if I wanted to be as strong as I knew I was going to need to be while I went through this, I had to get rid of those little habits again. And so I, it was then that I sat down and I wrote this list of the 13 things mentally strong people don't do. And I thought, you know, it's helpful for me. I'll put it on the web. Maybe it will help somebody else. I never imagined it would go viral or be read by millions of people. That's incredible. How do you start to research something like this? I mean, were you just so grief-stricken and so fed up with being grief-stricken that you started to lean into the subject and read? or, Or were you asking colleagues? I mean, how do you research something like this? Yeah, it was one of those that I thought, you know, I saw what happened to people who didn't deal with problems in their life. You know, somebody, whether it was that they lost a loved one or that they'd just gone through some sort of tragic circumstances, but if they didn't deal with it in the moment, they'd come in 10 years later and be talking to me in my therapy office as if it happened yesterday. And I didn't want that to be me. I didn't want to be 35, 45 years old and still stuck in this same place. And so I started noticing for one, what was going on with people that stayed stuck and sort of taking notes about, okay, don't do those things. And then I started reading as much as I could and learning from everybody that I could on what what helps you move forward when you go through these sort of things. And, and I knew from an intellectual standpoint, as a therapist, I've been trained in helping people do these things, but it's one thing to know it and another thing to do it. And I had to do it in a way that made sense to me. And so that's why I had really sort of over the years focused on what not to do because that was what was helpful for me. And I just never really written it down on paper until that one day that I wrote this list and really came up with all of the ideas together of those things that could hold me back. Are these personal to you or are these sort of general? Because it's written that it's general, but how did you even find 13 things or how did you narrow it down to that? You know, how, where does the experience come into play or where does the, the research come into play that says, okay, this is something I see a lot? Yeah, it was a variety of things. The things that I saw from people firsthand of, okay, when people do these things, 
this is what holds them back. But it was very personal to me at the time, too. If you notice on my list, the first thing is that mentally strong people don't feel sorry for themselves. That's because that was where I was in that moment, was I was definitely feeling sorry for myself. And that was the reminder that I needed. But then my list goes on to explain other things that I knew I was prone to, but I know other people are prone to doing those things too, because for many of us, it just sort of becomes a habit and we get stuck in those. So I knew, okay, if I can come up with this one list that really encompasses the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that I can't do if I want to be mentally strong, put it on a piece of paper so I can look at it, that if I could remind myself of that every day, that it was going to help me. And I'm thrilled that so many other people have found it helpful too. Yeah, obviously you're not alone in in finding these particular weaknesses in people are the things that mentally strong people don't have. And one being waste time feeling sorry for themselves. And I totally understand that. There's a lot here. Why is this stuff so important? I mean, we focus a lot on our health and our physical strength and things like that. Is this, is this another leg on that same, you know, journey or that same table? I am terrible at analogies right now. I'm usually pretty strong with this. What's the deal? You know, why is this stuff so important? Let's just go with that one. Yes, it is super important because like you said, we focus so much on physical strength and we talk about being healthy, but nobody wants to talk about mental health or mental strength and really mental health and mental strength. They're not the same thing. I find people will say to me, you know, I'm depressed. So that means I'm not mentally strong, but that's not true. Just like somebody who maybe has diabetes could make choices to be physically strong. Somebody who has a mental health problem, whether it's depression or anxiety, can still make choices to be mentally strong. And so, but most people are like, what's mental strength? Most people have no idea what that even means. And so I think it's great that this conversation has been started because we focus so much on, you know, you should reach your goals and you should be healthy and you should do all these things. But it's really hard to do all those things unless you have the mindset that's going to help you reach those goals and to reach your full potential. Yeah. So this is like mental strength as separate from physical fitness. Right. We talk, you know, athletes, of course, talk a lot about the mental strength you need, and that's important to them in reaching their goals. But you also need mental strength if you're a stay-at-home parent and you don't want to yell at your kids or you are going off to your job every day and you want to do the best you can. You need to be mentally strong to do that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And is this about just acting tough? I mean, obviously, being mentally strong is not just about being a hard ass all the time. Yeah, that's one of, I think, the biggest misconceptions that I've learned from people throughout all this is they'll say, well, you know, I don't want to be like a robot. Why would I want to be mentally strong? I have to explain to them that that's not it at all, that it's not that mentally strong people don't cry at funerals or that they don't, you know, go coochie, coochie, coo when they see a little baby. They have emotions, but they're aware of their emotions and that they're able to say, okay, my anxiety right now could affect my decision. So I'm going to be aware of how that might play out or even my excitement over this new opportunity could make me be impulsive. So I need to be aware of that. It's really just about being aware of your emotions rather than just stuffing them or suppressing them or or behaving mean towards people. I had somebody say that to me too. Like, you know, I think my boss is mentally strong. He's really rude and mean and nothing bothers him. That's not it at all. That there is a big difference between being strong and just acting tough on the outside. Yeah, let's define that a little bit or separate that out a little bit because it is interesting. A lot of people think like, oh, I'm tough. You know, when my dog died, I barely shed a tear because I'm tough. And that same person might be like, I'm in love again. Oh my God, we're going to get married and have babies. And their friends are like, man, this is like, 
girl number eight for the year that he said this about. This is ridiculous. And that person just isn't self-aware enough to know, hey, listen, you get overly excited, you make impulsive decisions, you make bad decisions, you know, your brain gets bathed in oxytocin and what is it, you know, all these different dopamine-type chemicals. You need to be aware of that because that's a men- that's an emotional or mental weakness and that's what the strength you're talking about is designed to prevent. Right. And so I always try to explain to people, there's three different parts to mental strength. And the first one is about regulating your thoughts. And scientists estimate we have something like 70,000 thoughts a day. Well, I would argue probably 50,000 of them aren't even true. We think, you know, we exaggerate things and we tend to predict catastrophic things are going to happen or we overestimate our own abilities. And it's mental strength is really about figuring out which of my thoughts are true and which of them aren't and reframing the ones that are overly negative into something that's much more realistic. That's the first part. The second part is about managing our emotions. And that, again, it doesn't mean you have to suppress your emotions, but it means you can have some control over how you feel that just because you wake up on the wrong side of the bed doesn't mean you have to be in a bad mood all day. You can make a choice to say, okay, I'm going to choose how I feel today. And the third part is about behaving productively, no matter what kind of circumstances you find yourself in. So rather than complain when you encounter a problem or sit around feeling sorry for yourself, it's jumping into action to say, how can I solve this problem? Or when you fail to decide, how do I learn from my failure? Or how do I keep moving even though this is uncomfortable? And those are really the three parts that all come together to make up a mentally strong person. And how do we start to recognize where we might not be mentally strong? It's really about examining where do I spend my time and my energy that isn't productive. That can be a big one because people will say, you know, I I feel like I'm busy all the time, but I don't get anything done. And so sometimes just examining, well, where's your time going? What are you doing? Are you spending all day complaining about problems rather than solving them, for example? And also to just really take a look at what are my bad habits? And again, I always say you're only as good as some of your some of your worst habits. And so really be willing to examine which bad habits are holding you back and to take a look at what good habits do you have that you want to enhance or which ones do you want to add, but to make sure that you aren't just becoming like a hamster in a wheel where your good habits, you're not getting anywhere despite all your good habits because you have a few bad habits that are holding you back. And so to really take a look and I, of course, encourage people to take a look at my list and look at which ones on this list that you tend to do in your own life and how do you want to give those up? Yeah, we can take a look at that in a bit. Uh, Some examples are like, what, feeling sorry for yourself, resenting other people for being successful, things like that? Yeah, you know, making the same mistakes over and over, all those sorts of things that we all fall prey to at one time or another, but sometimes it's harder to admit that we do them. So it's really about becoming self-aware and recognizing those things that you do that hold you back. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, 
Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, back to Amy Morin. Let's go over some of these. I mean, the first one you'd sort of touched on as well, wasting time feeling sorry for yourself. What are some of the more common ones that you see among guys and girls that you, that you treat in your clinic or during your sit-downs? I think one of the biggest ones is giving away your power. And what that means is when you allow somebody else to have control over how you think or feel or behave. And I'll hear people say things like, you know, well, I can't help it that I have to have my mother-in-law over for dinner every Sunday night. We have to do that. Like, no, you don't have to do that. Or somebody will say, you know, my boss puts me in a bad mood every day. Well, your boss doesn't have control over how you feel. You can take back your power and say, I'm going to make it a good day despite whatever's going on around me. And for a lot of people, that's a really new concept that you can be in complete control of how you feel and that other people can influence you, but they can't force you to do anything. Sometimes just recognizing that is a big aha moment for people. Yeah, of course. I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show as well, just kind of guiding your own, being in, in charge of your own mood, uh, being in control of your own actions, especially being in control of your emotions. So I, I love that. And of course, the strength 
is in your ability to manage those things and, and change your actions despite having negative influences from the outside. Right. And to figure out, okay, even if you are in a tough situation, what are your choices? What can you do about it? And to, you know, another one on the list is that you don't focus on what you can't control because that's another big one for people where they worry about all the wrong things and they put their energy in all the wrong places and they're exhausted and the problem doesn't get solved. So to separate, what is it that I can control and to acknowledge what you can't control? Yeah, I'm very guilty of that at times as well. Like, oh, why didn't this work? Oh my God, I got to think about it a lot. <laughs> I mean, right. it doesn't do anything. It literally never does anything positive, um, especially if I can't solve the problem. You know, like, I've got a stain on my pants or something. It's like, who cares, right? And usually that's just a surrogate outlet for other stress. Would you agree? Yeah, quite often that's exactly what it is. We're stressed out about something at work and we come home in a bad mood or we're worried about something completely unrelated or so we have a gotten a fight with somebody at home and you go to work and suddenly you're in a bad mood at work and it just carries over for sure. What else? There's so much good stuff on this list because people are listening right now and they're going, oh my God, that's me. Wait, no, this other one. No, that's my mother. Oh my God, that's my brother. I mean, this is very useful, I think. You know, another really common one is that mentally strong people don't resent other people's success. And that's a hard one, right? That's In a hard one. day and age. That's such a hard <laughs> one. Really tough. You know, you see your neighbor pull in with a brand new car and you're thinking, wait a minute, you know, I'm still driving my 2005 Ford Focus or whatever it is. And you're thinking, why can't I have that car? Or, of course, social media makes this one more difficult. You yeah. log into Facebook and you're seeing what everybody else is doing. They're all going on vacation and they all seem to have perfect lives. And, you know, research shows that envying people on Facebook actually causes depression. And that the more time we spend on social media, our mood actually plummets because we tend to resent other people sort of idealized lives that they portray of themselves on social media. Oh, I, absolutely. I see this all the time and I try to remember that when I see people like, oh, I'm doing a zero gravity flight. Oh, I'm going to Necker Island to hang out with Richard Branson. Oh, I'm going to go to this thing. I'm like, these are the highlights of this person's life. I don't need to be jealous. The rest of the time was spent working to get to these points. And uh, a lot of folks will say, Jordan, man, you're so, nobody who knows me that well, they'll say, Jordan, man, you're positive all the time. And I'm thinking, that's because I don't go on Facebook and say, oh man, today I feel like crap. I'm such a loser. I haven't done anything with my life. Oh, I'm just a podcaster. My life is over and I'm fat. I don't write that, right? I write stuff that's funny to cheer myself up, to cheer other people up. I post things that are interesting. It doesn't mean I don't have those thoughts. It just means they don't go in my Twitter feed. Exactly. And I think so many of us forget that. It's easy sometimes when you're scrolling through your Twitter feed or you're looking at somebody else's Instagram and you're doing all these cool things and you're thinking, you know, gee, I just at home on a Friday night, my life sucks. But yeah. really, when you can put things into perspective to know, okay, that's, you know, this isn't reality. This person has problems just like the rest of us. And but yeah, they're showing the best of what they have. If you looked at your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed, you'd see, oh, okay, my life, I do some pretty cool things too. I mean, it's just because we're comparing, and I, I find myself saying this a lot, when you do that, you're comparing the idealized version of that other person, like the shellacked you know, a spray-on veneered person who's portraying themselves that way in social media to your super hypercritical version of yourself where you go, everybody's looking at that pore that's too big on my nose or whatever, right? And that's an unfair comparison, no matter who you are. Exactly, but yet most of us do this at one time or another, right? 
So we just have to remember that other people's success and other people's joy is what we're seeing. We're seeing the highlight reel. We're not seeing the off season, right? Or the training right. camp. Exactly. And to keep in focus, you know, what's, what are your goals in life? Because every time you take your eyes off of your own goals and you start resenting somebody else, it's another minute that you didn't spend working towards whatever it is you want to achieve. All right. Excellent. One thing that comes to mind for me, especially, and I'm just going to pick on other people of my generation because I'm at like the tail end of this or the beginning, I guess you'd say, millennials, right? There's a lot of things on this list that I see that everybody does at some point or another, but I feel like millennials kind of do more, which is especially giving up after failure, feeling the world owes them something, and expecting immediate results. Now, again, everyone's guilty of this. Every group of people is guilty of this, but I see this a lot with younger people, and I'm not sure if it's just because they're young or if it's actually a generational, quote-unquote, millennial thing, but I see this a lot with people I grew up with and people younger than me. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I'll get a lot of comments from people who, you know, middle-aged or older adults that will say, yeah, I shared this book with my child or my kid that's in college right now because I think, you know, the younger people need it or I had a school system that bought my book because they said, you know, younger people need this message because it's getting lost. And I've had other people say, well, you know, this is the, some of the same advice that our grandparents would have given us 50 years ago, but that people aren't hearing this advice in today's generation that young people just don't have that. And part of it, I think, is because of technology. It makes it harder to spend time by yourself because we're always so connected. And it does make it harder not to expect immediate results, right? We're so used to everything showing up on our doorstep with a click of a few buttons. And so then to know, oh, if I want to really work on myself, it doesn't happen overnight. I can't just change tomorrow. It's going to take a long time. So I think these are concepts that, that are more difficult today than they used to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you think the, that becoming mentally strong has gotten harder over time? Yes, I think it is. Because I think we don't really teach people about emotions. I mean, kids in school don't tend to learn a lot about it. And I think that there's so many disagreements these days about, you know, how do you parent your kids the right way? Or what's the best way to do something? And and everybody wants to be so politically correct that we don't actually really teach people the skills that they need. And so I think it is part of the problem is we're just not talking about these things and we're not giving people the skills that they need to know. How do you deal with failure as a kid? Well, if everybody always got a trophy, maybe you never felt like you failed or parents don't want their kids to make a mistake. So they prevent them from making a mistake. And then kids don't learn. How do you learn from your own mistakes? Right. Yeah, good point. If Yeah, you have to learn from your own mistakes. You can't learn all of this from reading about other people, etc. Right, exactly. And how do we get over the, the sort of sense of entitlement? I mean, I feel like a lot of people, even people write in and say, look, I have a sense of entitlement and I don't know how to get over it. And that's kind of an admirable thing to say, right? Because if you're entitled, people want to go, ah, oh, look, this friggin' guy, right? But if you know you're entitled, and you find it to be a problem, it seems almost like, it seems like a really crappy place to be. Yeah, and it is interesting when people can have that self-awareness to know, oh, I do have this sense that somehow I'm entitled. Because I think, I would dare say the vast majority of us, at one time or another, we tend to think, well, I'm a little bit more deserving, or I'm a little bit more special, or, you know, I, I should have success because of A, B, and C. And we have this sort of, you know, sense of, cosmic justice. And people will sometimes say things to me like, well, you went through really hard times. So it's good that you have success now because you deserve that. 
that's not how the world works. If you have 10 bad things happen, you don't deserve 10 good things to happen. Or sometimes people will say to me, well, you know, you can't expect immediate results. That's what you say, Amy, but you just wrote this one blog post. It went crazy viral and you got a book deal. So doesn't that mean you had some sort of sense of entitlement? No, I had written for the web for years. And this wasn't my first blog post for sure. I wrote probably thousands of other blog posts that didn't go viral. And so for people to know that, okay, once you recognize I have this sort of weird sense of justice or this idea that I'm somehow more deserving, then to figure out where does it play out in my life and to notice the thoughts that you have that sort of fuel that. So whether it is that you're thinking, well, I deserve to win because and you fill in the blank. Or you start to think things like, you know, I am more special than other people, or I deserve to have success. So just reframe that and remind yourself that hard work is great, but it doesn't necessarily mean just because you worked hard, that you're definitely going to have success fall in your lap. It doesn't work like that. And so to just sort of evaluate times in your life where that comes out and to really start changing the way that you think, because when you can reframe some of those thoughts that you have after a while, it chips away at our core belief that says, I'm a more special person than other people. And again, I think a lot of that goes back to childhood when we put kids in those t-shirts that say things, you know, like I'm special or I'm the best and those sorts of things. So when you've learned that, it takes a while to, to unlearn that as an adult. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, back to Amy Morin. That's a good point. I mean, it seems all funny because, you know, you're putting a shirt on. It's like, daddy's little perfect princess, and it's it's cute for the adults. But after a while, it's like, well, wait a second. I'm daddy's little perfect princess. What do you mean I'm not getting everything I want for my birthday? Right, when you're 30 years old and your boss isn't giving you that promotion, and you're like, wait a minute, but I'm the princess. I deserve that. Have you not seen my T-shirt? I'm daddy's little heartbreaker. <laughs> this is this is what happens with me. I get everything I want. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, It's kind of interesting because, yeah, people have to learn these mistakes the hard way. And I, I'm not saying, like, for kids these days. I mean, I was definitely one of those that was like, yeah, I show up to school, I'm supposed to get a really good job because of this, and, you know, of course I'm going to live high on the hog because why not? I mean, I'm so smart, of course I'm going to make tons of money. And then I learned early enough that I needed to outwork everybody to do that, so thankfully I had that going for me. But when I look around now, I'm like, wow, that was pretty lucky because there's a lot of people that I grew up with that still live with their parents because they literally they can't match the standard of living that they grew up with, which is pathetic. Yeah. So then, you know, figure out, well, how do you know, too, okay, if I succeed in life, part of that is because you put in hard work. 
usually there's a few breaks that come along too. I hate to use the word lucky, but you know, to have some doors that open for you because you network with the right people and because you made good choices as well. But to know that it's not necessarily that, you know, you were born to succeed in life, but it is that you put in your time, you put in hard work and you had some breaks along the way that helped you get to be where you are and to, to be able to recognize that. Whereas I think some people tend to walk around then thinking it's because I'm special and where I am today, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Instead of thinking like, yeah, instead of going, well, she worked really hard. She did this, she went, because again, you don't see the work that went into it. You only see the successful results, in fact. Right. People, you know, I think every successful entrepreneur I've met or anybody who's successful at, at their job They've put in really hard work to get there and, you know, 18 hour days and sleepless nights and, you know, they're working on the weekends when other people aren't and they've worked really hard because that was important to them. Now, you've got a lot of tactics, especially speaking of uh, T-shirts and things like that affecting your thinking. You've got some things that, that talk about language and things like that, like my mother-in-law drives me crazy or my boss makes me work late. You, you've talked a little bit about how language affects our thinking. Can you dive into that a little bit? I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, because it, the everyday language that we use, it really reflects the way that we think and the way that we feel. And it will also affect your behavior. So when you say those things like, you know, my mother-in-law drives me crazy, it sort of insinuates that she's nuts and she's making you nuts too, dragging you down. And so to know, okay, even if that's true, if you ended up with a crazy mother-in-law, that doesn't mean that you then have to resort to that level or that you have to start doing things that you wouldn't normally do. And so often it's just about changing your language. And so, and I'll hear it with people too. It's not even necessarily about people, but sometimes people will say things like, Oh, I have to go to work tomorrow. Well, no, you don't. And, you know, we live in a blessed to live in a country where you don't have to go to work. Yeah. There'll be consequences if you don't go to work, but just recognizing that it's a choice make all the difference in the world and the, Everything we do from the time we wake up in the morning until the time we go to bed, it's all about choices. And the things that we complain about are usually fairly ridiculous, whether somebody says, you know, I have to go to the grocery store or, you know, I don't, I don't want to go hang out with these people tonight, but I'm going to do it anyway. But to just recognize I'm choosing to do it. And yeah, maybe I'm choosing it because I don't like the consequences, but just admitting to yourself that this is a choice and I don't have to do it can really change your whole attitude and your outlook and make it so that when you do those things, you can do it with a much grateful heart than you would that if you feel like you're being dragged or coerced or something like that. And sometimes that's the first step is just changing your language and then becoming more aware of those thoughts that you have that give away your power. And again, that can sort of chip away at this sort of victim belief that you might have that you're sort of this victim of unfortunate circumstances in life and can help you feel more empowered to take charge and be in control of the choices that you make. Excellent. Is there a way to practice the language stuff as well? I mean, is it just a matter of like being aware of this and then when you tell yourself something, you tell yourself, wait a minute, no, this this is a choice. How can I rephrase that? And just using it in real time to get the get reps in. Yeah. And then the more that you practice rewording something. So when you say my um, mother-in-law drives me crazy to say, you know, I'm not a fan of my mother-in-law, but that's okay. Or um, when you blame your boss for making you feel bad about yourself to just remind yourself, no, he doesn't have control over that. And the more that you practice it, 
the easier it becomes. And then after a while, you find yourself when you go to say something to somebody, you'll find yourself catching it before you say it and then rewording it before it comes out of your mouth. And eventually that can change the way that you think about those situations too. You have an interesting take on problem solving as well that actually is super handy that I kind of, it's so simple that I'm a little bit embarrassed I hadn't thought about it before, but tell us about that because it, it does change the way you look at problems and it, and it causes you to slow your roll a little bit or have it, and it'll prevent that emotional response that gets us in trouble so often as well. Yeah, when we're faced with problems, sometimes we do one of two things. Sometimes people avoid the problem. When it's something that's anxiety-provoking, we don't want to think about it, so we just usually try to do nothing. But then when we're faced with a, another problem maybe that we're excited about, we tend to just jump in and impulsively make a decision. And at other times, when we go to solve a problem, we just kind of do whatever the first thing that comes to mind is. And because of that, we sort of have lost our ability to solve problems effectively. And a really simple thing to do is when you're faced with a problem, whether it's that you have double booked yourself for tomorrow or that you're short on your budget this month, to sit down and say, okay, before I do anything, I'm going to come up with three to five different possible ways to solve this problem and to write it down. And then look at each solution that you came up with and say, well, what's the pros and the cons of each one? And then make a decision based on that. And what we found is that as kids, we can usually be rather creative when it comes to problem solving. But as we become adults, we tend to get this tunnel vision and we think that there's one good answer. But really, there's usually lots of different ways to solve a problem. And one of the neat things when I work with kids, for example, is I'll tell them, okay, here's a small object, maybe a stuffed animal. I want you to move it from one side of the room to the other, but you can't pick it up with your hands. And it's a fascinating thing to do with kids because they could come up with 101 potential solutions of how they're going to move this object. But if you ask an adult, nine times out of 10, they just stand there like, oh, you can't do that or that's impossible or I don't know. And then they may come up with maybe one solution like I'm going to, you know, use my feet or something. But little kids are just not bound by those sort of constraints and they can come up with lots and lots of ideas and there's more than one way that works. And so I think as adults for us to figure out what are the other possible ways? How can I possibly solve this problem and, and brainstorm before you just jump in and try to solve it? Well, thank you very much, Amy. This has been really enlightening. I love the fact that you've spent so much time looking into mental strength. The problem-solving thing is a bonus as well, but I love this. I think all of us do this at some point. I think that's kind of important to remember is we all have a little bit of these lurking around. Very few people probably have all of them. If they do, gosh, run. But all of us have a little bit of this, and we, we slip back into habits. These aren't characteristics that you can't get rid of. They're habits and things that you build over time, and I think that's really important to note. Yes, it's all choices that we can make, but we can also choose not to make those choices as well. Through practice and repetition, of course. Exactly, that you can't just say, I'm not going to do that anymore, and poof, it's gone, but that it takes some self-awareness, practice, training, and a desire to and a commitment to keep getting better. Exactly. We, we all know the people that actually do say, oh, I'm never doing that again. And who are those people? The people who do this shit all the time. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Amy. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Jason, that was a good one, man. That article got so many views. 10 million. I, I feel like, was it Dr. Evil? 10 million. <laughs> Unbelievable. And she probably stopped counting a while ago because, you know, that's a nice round number. 
But it is. We'll, we'll link to that article for you guys in the show notes as well. Show feedback and guest suggestions. This show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. We rely on you to keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit, let us know. Guests at theartofcharm.com. If you enjoyed this, don't forget to thank Amy on Twitter. We'll link that in the show notes as well as the other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap our album art. That's the little image of me and AJ. You can tap that on your mobile podcast player and it'll flip over, hopefully, and show you the show notes that have all the links in there. I'm also on Twitter at The Art of Charm, so be sure to shout at me there. Bootcamp details, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com. Sold out a little bit in advance. Get in touch now. Plan ahead. Subscribe on iTunes. Write us a nice review. Makes us feel really proud and helps us get ranked higher among other shows. And, of course, it's a great way to support us other than purchasing products and training from us as well. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of The Art of Charm. Go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. <laughs>